Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Well, Adam, I'm not going to try and copy you. I'm not going to rip you off, but uh, but welcome to the World Cricket Show. Uh, thanks for coming down. I'm your host, Tony Kerr, uh, and I haven't really actually prepared anything, Adam, uh, any kind of lines that you'd normally have done. I'm just going to let you flounder so maybe for a we while. Should, maybe we should leave this till next week, actually, <laughs> this experiment. The so thing is, I guess I just make this look so easy <laughs> that you're thinking, anyone could do that. But as you've just demonstrated there, with that rambling, all over the place beginning. Well, it was short, wasn't it? But also, what the listeners, you know, won't necessarily get uh, at home. Obviously, I was putting it on. Uh, I was. It was a kind of faux uh, amateurishness, if that's a word. It was a fantastic parody of an amateur radio intro. Yes. Well, hello everyone. Let's try and start this on a more sure footing, shall we? Uh, and welcome to yet another episode. Of the so world, I didn't get the, yet another. In, really, <laughs> you don't put enough expression <laughs> into it. I don't think so. I think you're having it up. It's Amdram from you. The listeners are fed up with that. They want they want the kind of more serious. I think serious production, <laughs> well, which is what I can which I can bring. I think. Well, we've been talking for a long time about getting John Humphreys in, <laughs> with Dimbleby expressed an interest. But I am going to continue with this, you know, up and down cadences that, that I like to do. Uh, but yes, my name. Is Adam Bayfield? I am your host, uh, and it is my job. Authoritative. I am your host, (laughs) and it is my job to try and keep a a firm grip on proceedings. But as evidenced already, you know the unpredictable element in the room, the loose cannon, the wild card, uh, is (laughs) is my co-host Tony Kerr. Yeah, this is about as wild as it gets. You never know what he's going to do next. Just try not to do anything that will get us taken off air, though, Tone. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. what I'd say. How's it going this week? Not too bad. Yeah, pretty good. It snowed last week. Did you notice that? <sighs> did yeah. you notice that snow happened? Yeah, did. Uh, yeah, it did snow, didn't it? It was a few millimetres. Uh, it did indeed snow in Guernsey on Friday last week, as was predicted by the weather forecast. It was chaos. Absolute chaos, wasn't it? Gar, only only a bit of snow. I'd say eh? the long long way to to work. This country comes to a standstill, isn't it? Only a bit of snow. Gar, chaos. This country, eh? I'm trying out a new character yeah. here, Tone. What do you think? <laughs> Disgruntled about snow guy. Does that work? Because I working? hate bo- I do genuinely hate both. I hate snow in England and the UK because all coverage of it is really annoying, and all opinions about it are really annoying. <laughs> I'd rather we just didn't. Didn't acknowledge its presence at all. Well, in my notes here, I've got a lot of material <laughs> about snow. I'm not, no, no, I think this is a real, this is a kind of a, 
you know, a soapbox for us to, for me to air my snow views. It's a symptom of rolling news, but it's just the constant snow, obviously snow updates, but it's like just shots of people making snowmen. It's like people were making snowmen in <laughs> Barnstable. And then it's like crossed to another, per- like people were skating in, you know. Grimsby. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't really care. Yeah. I really don't care. The snow that we had in Guernsey, I just found slightly disappointing. Firstly, because, as you say, it was only like one centimetre. It was a very light covering. So it wasn't nearly enough to to get a snow day. I think all the schools stayed open. Obviously, work stayed open, so I had to go. But uh, but I walked to work. I normally walk to work, but I thought I thought it would be lovely. You know, it would be like walking through a poem or something, like walking through a Dickens novel. <laughs> but it really wasn't. It was just a case of desperately trying to stay on my feet on this, like, slippery dirty slush uh, and then like there were cars everywhere you know cars all over the road cars everywhere on the road two lanes travel chaos both it directions was, it was just pretty difficult and unpleasant to be honest but the other thing is in general i find that there's something slightly disappointing about snow these days i think it's because there's a kind of like there's a gap there's like a disconnect between how much fun i think in my head that you can have in the snow and how much fun you can actually have in the snow. Because I, like, I woke up in the morning, you know, rushed over to my window, saw that it had snowed, you know, <laughs> ran downstairs, rushed outside, and then I just kind of stood there because I was like, oh, what do I do now? Because <laughs> I'm not a kid anymore. And I spoke to a friend of ours who lives in London on the phone, and he said uh, that when he phoned me, it was really snowy. And he said he was looking out the window, and he kept thinking, I really need to go outside and play in there. But then he remembered that he was 26 and, you know, he he can't really anymore. So snow just kind of constantly sledgehammers you with the fact that you're not a kid anymore. And for that reason, I just find it, you know, I was was quite relieved when the snow melted because, oh, God, I don't have to... I don't have to wrestle with, with that anymore. Well, you can build snowmen. I mean, snow now, at this stage in my life, snow is uh, just for the Alps or, you know, other kind of places like that. When you're on your, your yuppie weekend in the Alps. <laughs> so generally, I just found the snow a bit disappointing and, you know, chaos, chaotic, travel chaos there was. But on the plus side, this week, we made it through Blue Monday. We did. I'd, yeah, you'd suggested that we kind of book some kind of celebratory dinner get some friends together uh, if we've got any or it could have just been the two of us i guess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just try and turn blue monday into some sort of positive event, event kind yeah. of like when on valentine's day you have like a singles night <laughs> i don't know every year <laughs> yeah exactly it says for the third monday of january is supposed to be the most depressing day of the year uh, but i'd actually i'd actually forgotten about it i suggested that we do this and you said no and then on the day I'd forgotten that it was Blue Monday until you sent me a text about it. And after I read your text, I was really depressed. Not because I remembered it was Blue Monday, but because of the, because of the image that you painted of what you were planning to do with your Blue Monday evening. You sent me a text that just said, yeah, I'm just going to sit at home, eat a big bag of chocolate mini eggs and start a new game of Football Manager. I mean, talk about depressing. I was actually feeling pretty chirpy before that. <laughs> Mate, I had a great... Brought me right down. Uh, you know, endorphins were flowing. Uh, <laughs> it was great. It really turned into quite a day. Just imagining you in a darkened room playing football manager on your laptop, just eating mini egg after mini egg. I was surprised, actually, though, because I went to the supermarket uh, on my lunch break and I was actually physically depressed I couldn't, and I couldn't explain it. And, uh, yeah, they were right. 
the papers. I don't know why that made me laugh. That image. <laughs> yeah, genuinely, though, I was the like, wow, being never, physically this is depressed. Weird. Is that why you bought all those chocolate mini eggs? Yeah. You made me. I picked you up to come here tonight, and you made me stop at a shop so you could buy another bag. Oh, I'm actually addicted to them. I asked you to buy a banana for me, and you were very distressed about the idea. You're like, I don't know what the etiquette is with buying fruit, presumably because you don't buy any ever. Not regularly. Well, anyway, hey. There's a veritable smorgasbord of exciting things what are coming up on the show today. Uh, since the last podcast, there have been two more ODIs out in India. England have lost them both, uh, so we'll be doing another award-winning autopsy on those games in just a moment. There'll be a couple of thrilling side notes as well, and we'll also be taking another jet-setting trip around the world, just see what's been going on, you know, just sort of sniffing out stories like the journalistic bloodhounds that we are. You looking forward to all that, too? Um, uh, yeah. England. On this part of the show, we talk about England. Now, there's still one game to go in England's one-day series in India, but as a contest, it's over. India secured an unassailable 3-1 lead with twin victories this week in Ranchi and Mahali. The game in Ranchi, which, of course, is MS Dhoni's hometown, uh, was, a, was a bit of a Danny Baker's right hammering uh, England were bowled out for just 155. No runs from anyone, really. Uh, three for 19 for Ravi Jadeja. Uh, and India were never in any trouble uh, in their chase. Got to the target very comfortably with seven wickets in hand. Virat Kohli was man of the match. 77 not out. Uh, I believe that's the 13th man of the match award that Virat Kohli uh, has earned in 96 one-day internationals. That's more man of the match awards than Michael Bevan, he played 232 games. And Michael Clark, who has so far played 223 games, uh, just to give you an illustration of the relentlessly astonishing form of Virat Kohli. The fourth ODI was played in Mahali. It was a closer game, but still a comfortable victory for India. Uh, England battled their way to 257 for seven from their 50 overs. 76 for Alistair Cook, 76 for Kevin Peterson. And Joe Root with 57 not out from 45 balls. They made 100 off the last 10 overs. You felt that might give them a chance. Uh, and they forced the door open a couple of times when they had India 20 for 1 and then 90 for 3. But Suresh Raina with 89 not out added to Rohit Sharma's 83 from the opening position. Got India to the target with five wickets and two and a half overs to spare. And that win in a very cold Mahali put them, as I say, 3-1 up with just one game to play. So it's yet another one-day series defeat for England in India. Tony, here come the questions. So how do you assess this series then? Is this a case of same old story for England, you know, out of their depth in these conditions, in this format? The defeat in Mahali makes it 18 losses in their last 20 games in, uh, in one-day series in India. Or, alternatively, no disgrace for, uh, for an inexperienced fringe side uh, getting beaten by the world champions in their own backyard. How disappointed should we be with England's performance? I say, yeah, I think they're right. Exams are getting easier. Aren't they? <laughs> Multiple choice. The answer's just it's box ticking, isn't it? A stars for everyone. <laughs> well, surprisingly, I think uh, you'll find me splitting those two slightly. I mean, in some respects, in some respects, it's a bit disappointing uh, after the Test Series victory historic kind of test series victory given as well that England did put together a pretty good run of uh, results in ODI cricket last year you might have hoped they could have carried some of that momentum through obviously not it kind of dissipated didn't it somewhere well particularly when they won that first game 
you thought, here we go. Uh, got a cracking series on our hands. Yeah. England have really come ready this time. But then it just didn't really happen. Did yeah, it? strange. And I mean, so in, in that respect, yeah, definitely a slight tinge of disappointment. Then again, you look at the you look at the team that England are putting out, the players that are missing, who are being rested, and you think, well, obviously they're not taking it 100% seriously. So in that respect, maybe you know what could we you know what could we have really hoped for with the kind of the bowling attack that, that's that's out there. But then again, you look you look at some of the players who are there, and you think, well, they should be doing slightly better. So well, they have at least won a game, which is better than they've done. On their previous two visits as you say the absence of some of those key players has been a big factor but saying that definitely trot has been a big loss and we'll talk about him in greater detail in a minute swan i think would have would have been a big factor but then james treadwell has you know comfortably been the pick of england's bowlers and so he wouldn't have played if swan had been there so whether Swan would have been that much better than Treadwell that it would have um, swung any well, of these games not gone in England's maybe to favor. Treadwell and Swan. It's a possibility, but I don't think he would have started the first game. Jimmy Anderson's another one who's been rested, but he's not got the best record in one-day cricket in recent years. And so, and as you say, there are a lot of first-choice players there. Your Cooks, your Bells, your Petersons, your Morgans, your Finns. While it's not England's first-choice eleven. I don't agree with any kind of attempt to paint it as a, a, a second string, uh, which I've seen from some corners of the media. It's it's not quite the first choice, but it's not far away from being that. So it is disappointing to have lost with the game to spare, at least. Does it for you take any of the gloss off England's achievements this winter or will it be completely forgotten very soon for me personally i've almost forgotten about it already uh you know so yeah not uh not 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 is the answer the answer to your question is not. not the answer is no i don't think so i don't think it will take much of the gloss off for us presumably the indian uh, public and the indian media will be a lot more satisfied now with how their team's doing and i think yeah you know they've they've proved again that they are pretty formidable in this format in their own patch so good for them for us yeah i think we just we'll just roll on to the next test series <laughs> yeah i think i think you're right I, I, I do feel i feel almost a bit bad saying that but hey that's what i'm here to do i'm here to, be, <laughs> here to say what i think not gonna pull any punches not a loose cannon like you <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right. I think it, it, it shouldn't in any way diminish what England did in the Test Series. And in two years' time, in a year's time, in three months' time, in five minutes' time, you know, when people think back on the tour to India, the only thing that they'll remember, England supporters, this is, is the Test Series win. And so they'll remember the India tour very fondly. And in a similar way, England got absolutely hammered in the one-day series after the Ashes two years ago. No one remembers that now. No one gives a fig I thought you were going to say something else then. <laughs> we, we had a, a teacher at school who used to say that. If you said, sorry, my homework's late, I, and then you tried to give an excuse, you go, I don't give a fig. <laughs> <laughs> Which was always quite amusing. So no, I don't think it, it in any way takes the gloss off the Test Series win, but it would have been nice to not get beaten quite so convincingly from an English perspective. As you say, it gives India a much more positive frame of mind than the one they had a couple of weeks ago. England have kind of let them off the hook there in a sense. I don't think it'll have much of an impact on the test side of things for England, but it does knock them off their stride just a little bit in one-day cricket. They were number one in the world coming into this series. They had a fantastic 2012. It would have been good, I think, if they could have kept up that momentum and, you know, following on from such a historic achievement in the test series, if they could have pulled off a similarly historic achievement in the one-day series, then it really would have been a winter to remember. 
Wasn't to be, though. Mahali was another poor game for Jade Dernback. He bowled nine and a half overs, one for 59. Uh, the third ODI, admittedly England were trying to defend 158, but he bowled five overs, none for 45. That's nine runs per over, if my maths is correct. Uh, Dernback now has the worst economy rate in ODI history of any bowler to have bowled 1,000 deliveries or more. His economy rate is above six and over. Uh, the only other bowler in history uh, to have an economy rate above six and over is Sri Santh. He's got a worse economy rate, therefore, than Liam Plunkett, than Saj Mahmood. But he's still in the team. Those guys aren't. Surely it's the end of the road for Dernback now, Tone, for the time being at least. Yes. Uh, I think people are getting a bit, bit frustrated with him, aren't they? You know, the England fans and that. I certainly am. And at the end of the day, you know, that combined with success, you know, kind of results on the pitch uh, is all that matters. I don't think I don't think people are going to be too keen. You know, it's, it won't be the end of the line for him. He's obviously obviously the England selectors like something about him. So you know, there's enough there's enough flexibility in the ODI side to say like, yeah, just go away for a bit, and you know, if you can if you can kind of prove prove it again, come back. Clearly, the selectors do like something about him, <laughs> and at this point, it's kind of baffling what that might be. He has won games for England before. In the 2011 summer, there was a, a deciding ODI um, in the series against Sri Lanka where Dernback bowled a brilliant spell that won that match and therefore won that series. But certainly in the last five to 15 months, he's not done anything resembling that. He's just kind of gets smashed around, doesn't he? And when he's, when he's part of a, a three-man seam attack and in a five-man attack that includes Samit Patel as the fifth bowler, you just can't afford to have a guy who's going at nine and over unless he's taking, you know, seven wickets in the process, which he isn't. I was thinking about this because it, it is odd. There, there, is, there is something odd about the fact that Dernback keeps getting chance after chance. And it is something that happens with international cricket teams, particularly with the England cricket team, that there are certain players that seem to get much more of an opportunity than other players. You see, I mean, you remember a few years ago, you know, sometimes wicket keepers would come in, like Phil Mustard would come in and get three games and they get dropped. Whereas Geraint Jones would get two and a half years of failure to try and you know establish himself, and from a supporter's point of view, it often does seem a bit perplexing because you're like, why does that particular guy get a really long run and others don't? And I was wondering whether maybe thinking about Dernback, I guess the thing from for a fan is that you only get to see the matches, you don't get to see the training, you don't get to see the practice. Dernback strikes me as exactly the sort of bowler that England's batsmen would have trouble with. So perhaps in practice, you know, in nets and stuff, he's doing brilliantly. He's taking wickets because I'm not sure that, you know, England's one day batsman that would be able to handle him. But as soon as he goes up against Indian batsmen, they're just very dismissive. Yeah, no, that's that's probably quite a good point. Uh, it'd be quite good. I think at the start of the summer, they should do like a kind of, I don't know, get, it wouldn't be kind of like a trial day. But yeah, yeah, go to Lords, fill it, fill the stadium. Have it. it's kind of like an all-star event, uh, like a kind of NFL combine style, where you know where they test all the kind of physical attributes and stuff. Uh, but with cricket, sell it out. We'll promote it. <laughs> we're, you know, we're already, already doing some boxing. Tony Kerr promotions. Uh, yeah, it would be, but it'd be great to see you know England just for you know an extended period of time, just England bowlers v batsmen. It would be quite fun. But uh, yeah, I just think, you know, Dernback with his variations, he probably, you know, has Ian Bell foxed all the time. But Emma Stoney's just got no time for him at all. But anyway, yeah, so for me, I think, you know, it's time to move on from Jade 
turn back. I do think that even the England selectors are probably um, coming around to that view now as well. They came around to that view with Craig Kiesvetter, who's someone that I was a big fan of, that um, thought it, we should give him time. Uh, but I, you know, after another poor series here, I think it is probably fair enough uh, to send him back to county cricket for a while. Yeah, not a great series for Dernback, but indeed, other than Treadwell and Finn to an extent, I'm not sure that any of the bowlers came out of this series with their reputations enhanced. At no point have England looked like they had the measure of this Indian lineup. You never thought today that it was that likely that they were going to defend 257, which actually wasn't that bad of a score. Um, but saying that, while the bowling attack hasn't been great, uh, the batsmen have been equally culpable. 257 might not have been a terrible score. But 155 and 158 definitely were, which is what they made in the, the second and third ODIs. Owen Morgan hasn't delivered at any point in this series. He looks a bit out of form. Bell, Cook and Peterson have all chipped in here and there, but haven't produced the match-winning knocks that we might have expected. Obviously, as we mentioned earlier, Jonathan Trott has been at home. Would you say that his stock has perhaps risen in his absence? Because he's someone that you know people constantly question his value to the one-day team. Although he scores buckets of runs, you know, he averages over 50 in ODI cricket, there is a perception that he doesn't score quickly enough and that he kind of hampers England's batting. But through his not being there, have we seen exactly what his value to the team is? I mean, yeah, 155, it's frustrating, 155, scores a 155. No one wants to see 155 because, you know, in the first innings, because it's just. The match is dead then, isn't it, really? Uh, and the other team can just... They don't even need to rush. They can just kind of trundle along and it's a bit of a non-event. So pretty frustrating from a spectator's point of view that... If Trot had been there, maybe, you know, yeah. they wouldn't have got rolled over for quite that. Few. Yeah, I mean, Trot certainly gives the batting lineup a lot more kind of solidity. Steel. Uh, yeah, steel, reliability. Backbone. Uh, uh, yeah, other words related to the kind of tensile strength of metal. <laughs> Other synonyms for the words that we've just said. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, d- definitely, definitely a slight loss. Yeah, as we said before, though, the kind of the players that you want to see more from match-winning performances from uh, haven't really produced enough. They like Morgan, very disappointing. This was kind of this is supposed to be his thing, isn't it? This is, especially in India as well. It's supposed to be this is where we turn to Morgan and say that you're you're kind of number one apart from Peterson, <laughs> uh, and he's just not done it. So. <laughs> Not to rule him out, though. Yeah, he has been disappointing. I think he made uh, 10 of 30 balls in Ranchi, uh, which if Craig Kiesvetter had done that... You'd be spitting. People would be losing their mind. By people, you mean you. There's been one guy who's uh, who's been making positive headlines in the batting. That's Joe Root. He posted his maiden one-day 50 in Mahali. How impressed have you been with him? Somewhat impressed. He, I mean, he sounds... I don't know what it is about the name Jerry. He sounds like a kind of kind of storybook character. Right. I don't know why. Like, so, like, I imagine him to live... I mean, obviously, the name Root. I imagine him to, like, live in a vegetable patch or something. <laughs> or something like that. He said he could be in the Happy Days, not the sitcom, the, uh, you know, the children's card game. Mr. Root, the farmer yeah. or whatever. Like, Mr. Bun, the baker. Yeah. Know what I mean? Know what I'm talking about? Mr. Root, the... Mr. Root, the, the vegetable pack, the allotment manager. Mr. Root, the allotment manager. Yeah. Yeah. Difficult to get excited about this one day series <laughs> from my perspective. In many ways, as well, still, I don't really feel, I don't feel that enthralled by the prospect of building a side in one day cricket. I just think, you know, when the Champions Trophy comes along or when the World Cup comes along, throw a team together. And see how they do. That's never worked for England, <laughs> ever. No. But I, I know what you mean in the sense that 
people do this with the test side as well. People are always like, like, or talking about Jay Root, they're like, get Root in, he's the future. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, well, the future can wait because actually we need the best team for now. Yeah, people always say, well, you know, you, you need to give the kind of, you need to give them experience, new kind of young players, you need to give them experience so that, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years down the line, yeah. they're, uh, you know, they know they're kind of, they're comfortable. But, no, if you, I mean, the players who last a long time in the, in a career, you know, who start young and then carry on well into their, you know, well into their career, is because they're good enough when they're young enough. That's the only reason they should be playing. How many players come into a team in any sport, in any team sport, who are young and not good enough and end up being really good? I don't know. But also, I think that it's much easier to come into an international side do well and settle in if you're coming into a winning team if you're talking about giving all these young guys experience for four five six seven eight nine years if it's four five six seven eight nine years of losing that's not very good experience like pick your best team maybe have one or two young players at most but yeah like for australia um when michael clark came into the team you know, it was A, because he was good enough to get in the team, but also he was playing with Hayden, Lango, Ponting, etc. And I think that would have been a lot easier for him than for the young Australian guys coming in now. The other side of that, of course, is when older players hang on for too long and keep young players out of the team. But then that's kind of what the selectors and the coach and stuff are there for, is to manage that properly. But yeah, I just don't like the idea of Get him in, he's young. It's well, yeah, it's not know. the answer. But Joe Root, though, I think actually does look like a very good cricketer. He probably wouldn't make um, England's first team at the moment. But today in Mahali, he did get a little bit lucky. He was dropped a couple of times, including an absolute shocker by Suresh Rainer. Uh, but it was nonetheless an impressive innings. Um, the tempo was the eye-catching thing for me. In Nagpur in that test match, he scored 70-odd off 230 balls. Uh, so we knew that he could dig in. But the question was... Does he have the game for uh, limited overs cricket? And the answer to that would appear to be an emphatic yes. Uh, he's certainly got all the shots. He played the scoop shot. He played the reverse slog sweep. There were clean hits down the ground. In this series as well, he's also bowled some very handy overs of offspin. So he does look a cricketer. England just need to manage him carefully, which I'm sure they will do. Um, ultimately, I don't think that England will be too worried about defeat in this series. They will just look at it as a learning experience. I think they're probably correct to do that. And I'm not too worried about it either. I don't think it's especially instructive looking ahead to the Champions Trophy or to the World Cup in 2015. Um, you know, very, very different conditions. As we say, big players to come back. But on the other hand, the 5 0 whitewash in 2011 was also seen as a learning experience. You hope that at some point they are actually going to learn from these learning experiences. But yeah, I mean, there's still one game to go. If they win in Dharamsala, 3-2 defeat would be slightly more respectable, I suppose. India will be very pleased and above all very relieved to have secured this victory. They've halted the slide. All of a sudden, that batting lineup looks pretty formidable again. Suresh Reina, who I've never been enormously convinced by, uh, has scored half centuries in every innings he's batted in this series. And Rohit Sharma made runs today. It was a bold choice, I think, by the selectors to, uh, to stick him in at the top. But he justified their faith in him. MS Dhoni has been pretty imperious. Uh, he was awful for most of that test series, but now he's unstoppable and England just have no idea where to bowl to him. So it's good stuff from India after, after losing to Pakistan and then uh, defeat uh, in the first game in Rajkot. Alarm bells will have been ringing, but they're going to be in a, a much better place now. However, having said that, not to fall into the whole see-you-at-home trap, but I do think that when, uh, when India come to England for the Champions Trophy... 
they might find life more difficult. Certainly, it would be very different types of matches that they'd be playing. Lots of those batsmen have difficulty with the moving ball. I'm not sure that India's bowling attack will be all that incisive in English conditions. So I would back England still in a one-off game. You know, in the Champions Trophy, it was the semi-final or the final. But right now, India won't be too worried about that. They'll just be relieved to have that winning feeling back again. In this game in Mahali, Alistair Cook, Rohit Sharma and Guten Gambier all got shocking decisions from, yeah. the, uh, from the umpires. That's just a, yeah, an, an in-joke yeah. there, <laughs> an, an inside joke for the listeners. Uh, yeah, they all got terrible, terrible decisions. Um, Alistair Cook was given out LBW to Ashwin when the ball pitched about a foot outside leg stump. Uh, Rohit Sharma, LBW to a ball that was clearing the stumps by about a foot. And Guten Gambier was given out caught behind when he didn't hit the ball. I don't particularly want to talk at great length about the DRS because I know that we talk about it a lot. Everyone talks about it a lot. But, you know, it's just yet more evidence supporting the argument of why India have just got to stop being silly, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's ludicrous. I don't. I should have really looked, done some research, but uh, you know, I don't know. You know, what kind of, kind of reaction these decisions or these bumbles have been uh, have been getting in India? Well, you know that they're they're not allowed to talk about it on on the commentary on the TV commentary, and that's very forward thinking, you know. I think <laughs> from them because uh, that would be most of what they talk about. They can't mention the DRS by name. They can't. You know, it's 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 the thing that. It's he who must not be named. It's the Lord Voldemort of uh, (laughs) Indian cricket TV commentary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, also, I was listening to a bit of Test Match Special today. One of the Indian commentators on there is Prakash Wakankar. He was uh, outlining to Simon Hughes why he doesn't support the DRS. Uh, his main argument was that he said, well, you know, I'm not, I'm just not sure about the predictive path of Hawkeye. I just don't trust it. It's not 100% accurate, which, you know, is something that we've talked about how ludicrous that is as an argument. And Simon Hughes skewered it in about two sentences. Because, you know, he's, he's someone who's worked an enormous amount with Hawkeye. And he just said to him, well, look, it's been tested rigorously. It's close to 99% accurate. And that's a lot better than human umpires. And Prakash Wakanka was just like, yep. He didn't have a comeback to that, but he didn't change his view. He still doesn't support the DRS in spite of hearing the argument. But there is no comeback to that. I've yet to hear anyone (laughs) present a decent counter-argument to that point. It might not be 100% accurate, but it's a lot better than human umpires. And so to hear someone go, yeah, you're right, but not change their view is... I mean, it's beyond frustrating and also 
it does just make you wonder whether it, it's reached a point now where people are just being stubbornly loyal to uh, the idea that you know it's India that don't want it, and so for a lot of Indians, perhaps they they don't want to change their view because it's because they've gone too far now. They're too entrenched in their position. Yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like that because it just it's just very frustrating. I mean, it, it's football, the goal line technology issue in football is on almost on a par, really in terms of how frustrating it is that it's taken so long to get to a point where they're even thinking about it. To have the same situation in cricket is baffling, given the amount, uh, given the success it's been everywhere else, apart from India. But also, like, with, with other issues in sport, to be honest, in most arguments, uh, most debates that you could have on any issue, no matter how strongly you feel about something, you can almost always at least understand the other point of view. But I'm really struggling to understand the logic of the people that oppose DRS. If someone wants to write into us, worldclickershare.gmail.com, and outline in a rational way why they don't support DRS, please do, because I, I just I don't get it anymore. I think it's just been demonstrated again and again and again um, how ludicrous it is. I ha- I've seen that the, uh, the ICC are talking about tweaking the arrangements slightly um, in test series between countries. It'll be up to the home board whether they want to use DRS. Currently, both teams have to agree, otherwise they don't use it. Um, But they're now saying that they no longer have to both agree. It's just the home board's decision. And that might, hopefully, change things because India are now going to have to use it when they go away from home. So hopefully they'll see that actually it is really good. And uh, and that might begin to change their minds, perhaps. It's a start, isn't it, at least? We'll move on in a second, but uh, I just briefly wanted to mention Nick Knight. Um, who's been commentating on Sky, and he is rapidly becoming my least favourite commentator, I think, uh, which is a remarkable thing when you consider the competition. I sound, I sound really angry, don't I? I sound, I'm fuming. You are. It's getting a bit awkward in the studio. Blue Monday's become Red Wednesday. <laughs> uh, no, just Not that I hate Nick Knight or anything, but he's just uh, he seems to be on commentary constantly when I'm watching, uh, and I'm just finding him a bit irritating, particularly because the cricket is often on so early in the morning. Just not sure whether I can deal with much more Nick Knight at 6.30 in the morning. We got a tweet this week from Ben Reeves just saying about Nick Knight that you can guarantee that at least three times a match he will say, has he got enough? (laughs) Yes, just. (laughs) That really made me laugh because I realised that, yeah, he does do that all the time. Anytime someone plays a shot in the air, he goes, has he got enough? Yes. There was one today where <laughs> Joss Butler stepped out and launched an absolutely monstrous hit down the ground. It was sailing into the crowd. It was sailing into orbit, basically. And Nick Knight was like, has he got enough of it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, it landed it, in the top it, tier yeah. of the stand. Is he, commentating, is he commentating in the stadium? No, he's commentating yeah. in England. In his defence, then, you know, when you're there, when you're at a ground, you mean instantly, you know. No, unless, uh, yeah. unless there's a particular angle where it goes kind of straight up and sometimes you don't quite know. But on TV, there are times when you think, well, that's sailing out and it just drops into the fielder's hands. No, I, 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 I take that point. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely true that sometimes as a viewer, you think it's going for six and it doesn't, or you think it's gone straight up in the air and it goes for six, particularly if it's coming down the ground. So I do have some sympathy for him there. But the Butler one was ridiculous because it was such a big six <laughs> and so obviously going for six. But also... Just say something else sometimes <laughs> instead of, has he got enough of it? Yes. <laughs> around the world now, on this part of the show, we talk about things that have been happening around the world. Hop in this plane with me, Tony. 
uh, and we'll fly down once again to South Africa, uh, where there have been two one-day internationals um, in the series between South Africa and New Zealand this week. It's only a three-game series. Uh, there's one game to play, but it's over as a contest, and New Zealand, against the odds, have emerged the winners. Uh, the first game was an absolutely thrilling affair. South Africa were all out for 208. Mitchell McLennigan took four for 20 from his 10 overs. Uh, Kane Williamson with his part-time offspin, four for 22. New Zealand got off to a terrible start. They were four for two and then 21 for three. Uh, then they were 105 for seven, uh, but they recovered thanks to 47 not out from James Franklin, who dragged them over the line, and they won by one wicket. It was an extraordinary climax to that game. The second match was in Kimberley. This time, New Zealand batted first. They made 279 for eight. Kane Williamson with 145 not out from 136 balls. Absolutely brilliant innings. Got them up to a very competitive score. South Africa were going well in their chase when Graham Smith and Colin Ingram were together, but they were separated at 167 for two. Uh, and five runouts, that's right, five runouts, contributed to a dramatic collapse and they were all out for 252. So New Zealand won by 27 runs and wrapped up a victory in the series. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's definitely worth bringing up uh, because after what happened in the Test Series, when New Zealand were just absolutely obliterated... Well, they got killed in the Test Series. Quite literally. Well, not quite literally, but yeah. uh, they got quite literally beaten very heavily in cricket matches a couple of times. <laughs> Uh, so after that, to, to bounce back and win the ODIs, that's a very impressive achievement, isn't it? It is. Uh, on paper, uh, and as was borne out in, uh, you know, on the pitch, not the best-looking South African outfit in terms of the names that are there. You know, yeah. uh, Unconvincing names. Yeah, very unconvincing. You'd say not the strongest side, but... Well, no Amler, no De Villiers, no Stain. But, but there's a Smith, there's a Morkel. Duplessis. There's a Sotsorbi. Uh, so yeah, you know it was it was still still an impressive victory. I mean that that second one when Guptill went with the score at naught after how many you know a couple of overs or more of dot balls, uh, you thought well probably New Zealand weren't going to put on a big score, but Williamson had a different idea than they as they say. But he went and got a big title. And Stunning then, innings from Kane yeah. Williamson. He's a man with a lot of talent. It'd be great from a New Zealand point of view if this is the beginning of him fulfilling it. Um, as you say, yeah, I think uh, South Africa's one day team isn't in the best shape at the moment, which is a bit odd because before these two games, they were ranked number one in the world. They've slipped to fourth now, and that's probably a, a, a slightly more accurate reflection of where they are. There's a, a complete contrast with their test side, which is, you know, very well drilled. Uh, everyone knows exactly what their role is, but, you know, it's it's just a bit all over the place, the South African one-day team. Quite a few unproven players like Fahan Bahadi and, and a number of other players who I'm not sure really belong at that level, like Ryan McLaren, but in spite of all that, it is still a terrific achievement for New Zealand because while South Africa might have a few issues, on paper you'd still put them as big favourites against this New Zealand side in any form of the game. Uh, and it's been a nightmare tour for the Kiwis and it doesn't make up for the Test Series just as India's one-day win doesn't make up for their Test Series defeat. Um, but to leave South Africa with something uh, has got to be a good feeling. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a contrast, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know if it's kind of patronising outlook, uh, patronising English outlook on world cricket. But the contrast between this kind of tour and England's tour, you know, it's kind of like as an England 
cricket fan, you feel like, oh, we've got bigger fish to fry than an ODI series in India, having just won the Test series. <laughs> yeah. uh, then, then, but then, you know, I find snooty. myself thinking a few, if, yeah, a few minutes later when talking about this. Well, good for New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> they've won an ODI series. It's a, a great achievement, and that's really something for them. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, hate me if that's what, if you're a New Zealander and you think that's what I'm, yeah, where I'm coming from. Just to pick up on something that we were talking about last week, uh, we were discussing the concept of a two-division test championship uh, and we concluded that it wouldn't be a very good idea, although uh, it would solve a lot of problems for test cricket, eliminate mismatches and stuff. It would also create a couple of problems by potentially destroying uh, test cricket in mid-level countries. And the other problem was that uh, what would you do about the Ashes if England and Australia were in different divisions? And that discussion got lots of you talking. It set the whole internet buzzing. <laughs> Lol, people said. FML. Picks or it didn't happen. That's what people were saying. All this, all of the above. Graham Duplassie, who emailed in the original question, tweeted to suggest that um, even if England and Australia ended up in different divisions, maybe the Ashes could continue to be held as a sort of exhibition series with the results presumably not counting in the league. Which is, I suppose, one way around it, except that I think it would render the whole project pointless, wouldn't it, if you could just stage test series outside of that framework? Because then you might start doing that India v Pakistan, Australia v India, South Africa v Australia. And there's lots of series that the boards would still try to arrange if you, you know, enable the situation where you could have um, exhibition series. We also got an email from Russ Degnan, who picked up on the fact that we said, you know, on paper, it seems like a good idea. But then there are these problems with it. Uh, and he said, uh, the bit of your discussion that intrigued me was saying that on paper, tears are a good idea except that they'll potentially remove the most popular and profitable series for many years at a time and probably financially cripple teams in the lower tiers because of the way finances work in international cricket. And it strikes me that that isn't on paper a good idea. It is on paper a terrible idea that needs to be reworked completely rather than stopping and saying, hey, it would be great, but it probably won't happen. It won't be great. It hopefully will never happen. And I think that's a fair enough point, isn't it? I think we might have misused the expression on paper, if indeed we did say that. But I mean, that, yeah, but the, the expression on paper means, on the face of it, it's a good idea. Well, it's like it, well, all good ideas, if they were a good idea on paper, would be a good idea in practice. <laughs> well, by definition. <laughs> kind I of. thought the, the definition of on, on paper means, you know, it solves a problem that you're, that you're trying to solve, but there are unintended consequences. I suppose, yeah, you wouldn't use the expression on paper. It's a if good it idea so, if like, it was so also not. a good idea in practice, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. then you just say it's a good idea. Yeah, but yeah. I guess by by saying on paper, what we meant was it seems like a good idea when you first look at it, and it's only when you sort of think about it more deeply that you realise that there are these other issues that don't come to mind instantaneously. Yeah, I, but I do take his point that in a way you could look at it and say that it's a kind of it's a good first draft it's a good first attempt at coming up with something but actually it's not even that is it because it is the consequences are kind of too great for so it's kind of find another, an entirely new way yeah the problems that it would create are yeah. so damaging it's not like yeah we can do this if we tweak a few things no it can't happen and it shouldn't happen I mean, I guess the kind of the other thing is that is there, is there another? I don't know if there is another option other than the status quo. I don't know. I mean, the only other thing I can think of is you know you take a year out, you have a test championship in a particular country in a summer, and have teams playing test matches all around the country, like a kind of Super World Cup that lasts like three months. But can you imagine like five test matches going on around the country at the same time? 
can you imagine how long you'll run like your rundown of like what's happened with me <laughs> at the start of the show? It'd be sick. I think the, the, there's a real problem, isn't there? That's like inherent to test cricket, which is just that a test match takes five days, a test series takes you know upwards of six weeks to two months. So you just can't do things quickly in test cricket. So if you're talking about having a two-divisional or three-divisional structure, the promotion and relegation has to be only after three or four years. You can't do it every year. And this is another thing that um, Russ pointed out in his email. It's another reason why it shouldn't happen. If you're in that third tier, you might suddenly produce a, a really great generation of players that might potentially even be good enough to play in the top division. But it's going to take you minimum eight years to get in the top division which is the length of a lot of players' careers. I mean, it's, that's the length of Andrew Strauss's career, isn't it? I've started, uh, I've started measuring periods of time in the length of international players' <laughs> careers. I no longer think of eight years as eight years. I think of it as an Andrew Strauss. So if something happened, you know, relatively recently, within the last few years, I think, yeah, it was about a Rob Key ago. Or, if, you know, if I've, if I've got to be somewhere in a minute, oh, yeah, don't worry, I'll be around in, uh, I'll be around in Martin Saggers. <laughs> How long, just like, didn't he play like five days though? <laughs> he played, well that's true, I think he played, for the next week, yeah. he played two tests. Yeah. yeah. So how long are you going away for? About, yeah, sags and a half. <laughs> <laughs> it's a short break this year, uh, I'll, yeah, I'm just going for an Alex Wharf. <laughs> uh, on that basis, it's going to, I think it might take, uh, you know, it might take a Tendulkar to get us out of this test cricket pickle. <laughs> I mean, in many ways, the most kind of, yeah, the best comparison I can think of is cricket or test cricket or cricket in general is like the uh, like the London Underground, isn't it? It was designed uh, over 100 years ago. Yeah, a lot's been built on top of it uh, in the subsequent years. It's still very much the same as it was at the start, which has problems, you know, poses problems to, to people now. People hate on it all the time, but you can't really change it. You know, you're confined by what's, what's there already. It's quite a good analogy. There's no room for manoeuvre, you know, the tunnels, the, the, the international cricket tunnels are, are narrow. You can't fit anyone more, you can't fit bigger trains in. You can't <laughs> air condition it easily. You know, a lot of these things, a lot of the same problems uh, you find uh, with cricket and the tube network. The side notes now, on which we discuss some of the more offbeat stories of the cricketing week. I did have two for you this week, Tone, but uh, we're running low on time. So I'm going to save one for next week. Yeah, we're running on time. The uh, the producer's looking at me through the glass. Dinner's tapping, ready. Tapping his watch. He's yeah. t- telling us that dinner's ready. <laughs> I don't know why we always put a pizza in the oven before we start recording it's this. It's mad. It is mad. Um, uh, this one comes from Crick Info, uh, which is a website on the internet. A Sub-Zero World Cup. Six teams will compete for the sixth unofficial Snow Cricket World Cup in Montreal, Canada. Organised by the Pirates of the St Lawrence Cricket Club, the tournament will see more than 60 members of different nationalities take to the field in sub-zero conditions. I've got a, got a Canadian guy here. How do you think my Canadian accent is? Oh, I've literally never attempted it. One, we? well, it's kind of, I presume, it's kind of American, but with added like, hey, a boot. Did he say about <laughs> anywhere? Yeah, here we go. <laughs> the challenge is as much about not losing the fingers as it is about maintaining line and length, says Angus Bell, the founder of the Pirates Club. It's probably English, to be fair. Uh, he might be, mightn't he? It's probably a jock. He's it? probably he might be an English expat though. So yeah. I, what I could do is just mix it up. And that's what I was actually going for. I was going for. Oh yeah. It's yeah. like an English person he's really badly up, he's up doing, a bit of American doing a Canadian accent. 
challenge is as much a boost not losing <laughs> fingers as it is about maintaining line and length, says Angus Bell, the founder of the Pirates Club. Bell is no stranger to odd cricket pitches. He first played cricket on ice in 2005 inside a former Soviet missile factory in Estonia while researching his book, Batting was, on the Bosphorus. I was about Bosphorus. to bring them up. I remember that we, we talked about it, didn't we? Did we? Ice cricket in Estonia. Is that one of the side notes that you brought? Uh, one of the best, I think one of the more memorable ones. <laughs> I don't it? remember it at all. <laughs> it's funny you should say Estonia, because I was like, where was it? And I, then I thought Estonia, but then, yeah. Well, there you go. it's correct. My memory, because I, I don't trust my memory. Uh, <laughs> like you kind of like battered it out of me. I've undermined your confidence yeah, exactly. in, your, in your own memory. Uh, the six teams in this year's tournament, Canada, England, Australia and New Zealand, that's one team, the African Alliance, the Asian Bloc and the Celts will play each other in a Super 6 group. A Kyrgyz lady and an Andorran cricketer are expected to take the field, giving the tournament a global feel. Bell is back in Canada to win this year's edition. All the men have been growing beards to protect their faces from the cold, so I know they're taking it seriously, eh? <laughs> he says. Uh, well, that article was written before the tournament. It has now been played. Canada did not win. The African Alliance claimed the title, beating Australia and New Zealand in the final. Well, in, ve- in very unfamiliar conditions, you would have thought. Good win for them. Good win. Uh, there's actually some very cool pictures from this tournament of, of snowy cricket um I'll, I'll post the link on the facebook page uh but yeah what'd you make of that time had we even begun to organize a snow tournament in Guernsey, uh it would have been futile because the snow would have melted before the ball had been bowled it would have had to have been very quick and it would have been in would have slush been... rather than snow I think. yeah slushed i mean is there slush cricket has that happened very slow outfield i can imagine in slush cricket well tane um <clears throat> it might sound a bit silly this story but it's no joke i see you enjoyed that one I've got so many more of these. I didn't do these jokes in rehearsals, did I? No, they wouldn't have got through. They would have not. They'd have been written out. Mate, Which, get this. Sorry, go on. I've got this is from the this is from the Pirates of St Lawrence website uh, talking about uh, cricket being played by British soldiers in Canada. For example, I think the first time they played was I make it sound like this is from my own knowledge. I'm just reading it. I think the first time they played was in 1759. Uh, wow! After the Battle of Quebec City. British soldiers played. Uh, but yeah, anyway, it, it goes on. Uh, and it says also, in 1989, 40,570 spectators rocked up to watch West Indies versus a World Eleven at the Toronto Skydome. Can you believe that? <laughs> I can barely believe <laughs> I it. I literally not believe that. We've just Googled this, and it turns out that Angus Bell, uh, the guy who uh, was quoted in that article, is actually Scottish. So I, I could go back and uh, edit in a Scottish accent, maybe. A ch- <laughs> The challenge is as much about not losing fingers <laughs> as it is about maintaining line and length, says Angus Bell. You sounded nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> this is obviously, you know, a reasonably big story, big enough to have attracted my attention. It's been made much bigger by being on the World Cricket Show, but it's not sort of dominating uh, cricketing headlines. So perhaps what it needs is for next year's edition, it needs to be taken on by Tony Kerr Promotions. Yeah, I really feel like this could be a big, big event. Much like Beyonce in the aftermath of her vocal performance at the inauguration, after this episode of The World Cricket Show, me and Tony have both got a lot of questions to answer, so it's probably about time that we get out of here. I can confirm, though, that Tony has not been lip-syncing this episode. Not much, anyway. I pre-recorded it in my own (laughs) home studio uh, at the weekend. Which is very impressive, I think, to get... I mean, because it's hard to lip-sync dialogue, I think. Yeah, but the script is so tightly worded that you true. can sort of get away with that. 
Do you think I've done all right in maintaining a, a reasonably cheery disposition tonight, Tony? Because I've had a bad week. I dropped my iPhone and smashed the screen, which was very distressing. It happens. It happens. I've only had it for six happens months, and I'm going to have to get a new one. Mind you, six months probably isn't that bad going for me. In some ways, it's probably a surprise that it hasn't happened sooner, as I am the clumsiest oaf in the world, would you say? Uh, you're pretty clumsy. It's because you throw things. <laughs> it's just like, Adam, can you pass me, the, uh, yeah, can you pass me that Ming vase? It's like, <laughs> ch- tosses it along. I have had a few... F- close calls I've, I've dropped it on the ground a few times but you got it day after you got it i mean you are as well you took you took a lot of persuading for you to get a, a smartphone of any sort yeah uh, and day after you got it you came down to the beach uh, and you just kind of tossed it on the rocks <laughs> <laughs> like put my towel down toss the phone down well i think they should the make rock. these things durable enough that you can just chuck them around <laughs> i think i also uh around christmas uh we went for a walk on the beach and i was skimming stones and I had my skimmed your iPhone. And I had my phone in the pocket of my hoodie, and I skimmed the stain, and suddenly realised that the phone had just flown out of my pocket, <laughs> and it landed on the shore, and there was a wave like coming in up the beach, and I just frantically like dived for it and picked it up. You get it? Narrowly got it away from the 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 water. I got my feet got absolutely soaked. Uh, but then it was like covered in sand and stuff, very wet sand. <laughs> so it's not gone that well. I am just incredibly clumsy in general. I also do this thing all the time, and I think you do it as well, where I try and carry too many things at once. Uh, is this a man? I don't know, is this like a guy thing? I don't know. Is this, kind of territory is this another like new character that I can try? No, out? but do you ever notice? Uh, I think it is a well. I think it is a thing that men do. Is it? Of, Am I in well-trodden territory? Yeah, I think here? so. But I'm just trying to carry, trying to do things in as few trips as possible. Well, that's it. If I've got to like bring food shopping in from the car or something. I'll load myself up <laughs> yes. so that I almost fall over. I can't keep my balance. Rather than doing two trips, anything but two trips. Yeah. Like, by the time I've balanced it all on my arms and <laughs> shoulders and stuff, I could have been in and out four or five times. Uh, and I did this the other day where I, was, where I made myself a cup of tea um, to have with my lunch. I had to get between the place where I made it and the place where I was going to sit and eat it. And I tried to carry it all at the same time <laughs> instead of doing two trips. It was about 20 yards that I had to walk. <laughs> and I spilled my tea everywhere. And as I was mopping it up, I was just like, I am such an idiot. No, I do that I'm all the time. such an idiot. Trying to shut doors when you've got an arm for like a drink. Trying to use the drink hand <laughs> yeah. to shut like a really stiff door. Oh, uh, I find the thing that annoys me, and people must think I've got really bad road rage. If you ever drive past me and I'm cursing, it's because the, the thing that winds me up most in the world, I think, is things rolling off the passenger seat <laughs> onto the floor. Like, if I get like, a drink or something, the bottle just rolls off. It drives me mad. You do have really bad road rage, though. No, I don't. My road rage is fun. You say that. I was, I was in the car with you the other day. You, you were getting really angry at a giveaway line. You drove up to a, a giveaway line. And there were cars coming, and you were going, "Come on, come on!" <laughs> it's like you have to give way. Don't be so angry. We're so slow. It must be so stressful to be you. <laughs> anyway, that is about it. Uh, we're going to have a week off next week. That's news to you, Tony, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's news to me. Thank God. What? It's like a surprise. It's like what a bonus for you. Uh, no, we're just going to have a, a week off. Where are you going? 
nowhere. Uh, <laughs> I've been cut out of all decisions now. <laughs> but we will be back in two weeks' time to talk so basically about... basically the episode that I was going to host. It's <laughs> yeah. not been called off all those topical jokes, which will expire after next Tuesday. Yeah, it's going to be moved back. God's sake. You know, you've written all your jokes about Andrew Mitchell plebcake. <laughs> Just tear up uh, everything. Well, yes, well, we'll be back in two weeks' time. Maybe Tony will host it. Uh, and we'll be talking about South Africa, Pakistan and other stuff like that. In the meantime, uh, if you like the show, there's all kinds of things that you can do to get more involved in it. You can go onto Facebook and Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash cricket show, twitter.com slash cricket show. You can also follow Tony at Tony Cover, T-O-N-Y-C-V-R-R, we're both of us tweeting up a storm on Twitter. I can't bring myself to tweet more than about once every ten days. But when you and do... And even then, it's not even... It's just that someone. <laughs> pointlessly. And when you do, it's really uninteresting. Um, but yeah, follow both of us there. Uh, send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. If you want to do something nice for us, you could write a review for us on iTunes. Uh, we really appreciate all of those. It does help us out massively in the rankings and stuff like that. We're yo-yoing in and out of the... Uh, top 100 on the uh, iTunes sports podcast chart at the moment. You know, the more people you tell about the show, the more iTunes reviews that people write, the better, I guess. Uh, we also have an online internet website, www.cricketshow.net. If you visit that, uh, you can buy a World Cricket Show t-shirt. It's just £15, which is about 25 Australian dollars, about 25 US dollars, uh, and that includes free shipping to anywhere in the world. But that's it for this week. Stay in school, guys. Keep warm if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, I guess. Hope you survive the snow. And we've done Blue Monday, so, you know, we're, we're on the way now, aren't we? We're on the way to better times. The sunny uplands of February are in sight. Sick of reading about people in Australia uh, at the moment. Loads of people seem to be there. I mean, apart from the millions of people that live there. Uh, everyone's there. We're not there. Dang, oh. Well, on that note... <laughs> That's it for this week. Bye bye for now. Oh. I think we should declare some kind of uh, referendum tonight <laughs> on whether we carry on. We re- renegotiate kind of powers. Well, yeah, we'll put it back to 2018, though. So. Yeah. How many have there been two ODIs since we last? We did the first two. That's one all, wasn't it? Yeah. And then there's been the Ranchi game and the Mahali game. Okay. I'll do the scorecards. So you'll get <laughs> so a recap. Don't have to. I don't actually have to watch any cricket anymore, do I? Because you just. <laughs> You recap it in such detail, I feel like I've seen it all. <laughs> as long as you listen. <laughs> yeah. As long uh, as I don't drift off. I don't know why I did two. So, uh, Has he got enough? No, caught. <laughs> no, no, caught. England four down. <laughs> 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.